Welcome to one of those times in a life, sharing songs and stories around the virtual campfire. At this campfire, the road to going home. The summer of 2004 was finally clear to me that all the stages of my life had found a harmony. And I knew for the first time that wherever I might roam, whatever road I'm traveling is the road to going home. That's the first verse of a song called The Road to Going Home. The song for the last campfire was The Road That Leads Us Home. And the one before that was Finding My Way Home. Clearly, there's a pattern here. There are at least two prevailing views about our life's journey. One might be described as a series of random events, and after we've lived through them, we have a strong human desire to arrange them in some meaningful way. Another view is that each of us is led or follows what might be called a golden thread as we live out our destiny and discover our fate. I imagine either could be true, or maybe it's some combination of both, or perhaps those perspectives and others like them are simply constructs that help us explain and understand our lives. What I do believe is that on some level, we are all searching for home. And all that that might mean. Stories of looking for home were shared around campfires long, long before Homer is credited with writing one down and calling it the Odyssey. Our search for home is one reason so many of us continue to respond so completely to Dorothy and her companions as they thread their way down the yellow brick road. At the last campfire, I described three moments of standing face to face with my fears. And though I may have blinked away a few tears at the time, in the end, there were smiles all around. What became clear later was how each of those moments was bringing me closer to home. That understanding came only after I did the work to make those moments and what they represented a part of my life. That fall there was a bus tour folk revival or review. The Kingston Trio Brothers Four and Glen Yarborough too. We sang this land is your land at the end of every show Had everybody standing on the road to go in home The moment when the Brothers Four was simply Bob Flick and I didn't last long. Mike McCoy and John Hilton filled the other spots in early June of 2004. Because neither had a career as a professional musician, McCoy was a first-grade teacher and Hilton the commercial airline pilot, the spirit was more like it was when the group originally formed, four guys singing and playing for the pure joy of it. Hilton might have said it best when he declared that being in the group was living the dream. We also worked incredibly hard for two months before our first show. I welcomed the veterans' role and the responsibilities that came with it, including taking over the instrumental solos that Terry had previously played so masterfully. There's an old joke about an out-of-towner who asks a native New Yorker how to get to the iconic performance venue Carnegie Hall. 
The New Yorker's response is, practice, practice, practice. After a summer of practice and a couple of local shows to test us, the four of us completed our transformation from four individuals into the brothers four by that other proven route, perform, perform, perform. The first couple weeks of September, we did club dates in Japan. We were on the stage the day after we arrived doing two shows a night. The fatigue helped us concentrate harder and trust each other more. And by the time we got on the plane back to the States, we were ready. And thankfully, an enthusiastic audience was waiting to hear us. A year earlier, the success of the PBS program, This Land is Your Land, combined with the hit movie, A Mighty Wind, reminded people how much fun popular folk music can be and the role it played for a lot of people growing up in the late 50s and early 60s. Forty years later, many of those same folks were ready to relive their youth. And there was a promoter who was going to help them by putting together a national year-long tour starting in the fall of 2004, featuring the Kingston Trio, the Brothers Four, and Glenn Yarbrough and his group. There was much about that season of touring that made it special. The venues were larger and more prestigious than when the Brothers Four performed alone. There was that magical moment at the end of every show when all the groups were on stage singing This Land is Your Land with the audience on its feet, singing, shouting, or simply smiling along. Having grown up a huge Glenn Yarbrough fan, I delighted in sitting across from him on the tour bus and listening to him tell stories of the early days and peppering him with questions about his relationship with the songwriter and people's poet Rod McEwen. It was also sad to discover during those offstage moments how unhappy Glenn appeared to be as a person and as a performer. Dick Foley, a founding member of the Brothers Four who left the group in the early 90s, was singing with Glenn on that tour. And Dick's one of the truly good guys, and it was a bonus for me to have a chance to hang out with him again. And that season, everything was new for McCoy, and we had a great time every night on stage and every day discovering some new city or simply watching the world go by from the window of a tour bus. I, I especially remember one morning on the coast of Florida. McCoy and I have our toes in the sand, and he calmly says, You know, I've never stood on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean before. For health reasons, Bob Shane, the last founding member of the Kingston Trio, retired from the road just before the tour began. Bill Zorn, who a year earlier had been singing in the folk group The Limelighters, replaced him. And that left Bob Flick as the only original member of the Brothers Four or the Kingston Trio still performing. And that fact led to an important realization. As much as the audiences might have wanted to see the young men grown old who had sung to them years before, they came instead to hear the groups, to listen to the music of their youth, to perhaps be reminded of their dreams, and for a few hours to remember how it felt to be young again. For those of us lucky enough to be on stage, it was a reminder Take the music seriously, but not ourselves. 
A few years earlier, before every performance, I started asking myself two questions. What if this was my first show? What, what if this was my last? It remains a way of helping me to be and stay in the moment. And during the This Land tour, I added a few more questions. Where would I rather be than here? Who would I rather be with than these people? What would I rather be doing than singing these songs? And when I'm sure that the answers are nowhere else, no one else, and nothing else, I'm ready and I'm able to walk on that stage knowing I'm on the road to going home. A singer and songwriter, faith enough, I believe. All for a long time I'd been puzzled, but I'd found the missing piece. And I could feel it standing on the stage with my guitar alone. Whatever road I'm traveling is the road to going home. The moment in the recording studio when I nailed that final vocal and realized on some profound and penetrating level I could both do it and had done it, was transformed by the end of that summer into a CD, appropriately called The Missing Piece. Completing the project involved some overdubbing, in other words, adding occasional instruments or vocal harmonies to what we'd already done. There was the mixing process where we took the various instruments and voices on each song and made them fit and work together. We mixed the songs in stereo, the drums on the far left, the bass on the far right, the keyboards middle left, the guitar middle right, and the vocals in the center, where we also put the occasional violin or horn solo. It was a slow and a careful process. We listened on big speakers to hear the smallest nuance and on small ones to approximate how people might hear the music if they were driving in their car. We did that with all 22 songs. We then chose what we thought were the best 18. We put those in an order that appeared to make the best sense and that we hoped would offer the most satisfying listening experience. We make the title track, the missing piece, the finale. And for the song that preceded it, we chose the road that leads us home. As a last step, we brought what we'd done to the mastering studio where we both watched and listened as 18 individual songs were woven into a single musical entity, timing out at 59 minutes and 53 seconds. As all this was happening, the CD artwork was being created. And for the cover, we chose a picture of me on the beach with a guitar. I've always liked to be able to look at the words to the songs as I'm listening, so we put the lyrics in a booklet along with the credits and made it all part of the package. We also had a website created. And at the end of the summer, a friend of ours was playing a folk festival in Colorado. He convinced the people that were putting it on that they should invite one of the Brothers Four down to sing and sell a few CDs. It was a warm and friendly welcome back to the marketplace as a solo artist. And even with all the touring the Brothers Four were doing, I decided to promote the Missing Peace CD around the Northwest in early January. Ted said he'd like to join me. Performing together further solidified our friendship and musical partnership. 
And besides getting the new songs ready, I spent a long time looking at and listening to songs I'd written over the years. And I ended up choosing, oh, somewhere between 30 or 35 songs that best represented my life and my career. And I put some of them together in a way I hoped would tell a good and honest story. And while the songs I share have evolved and changed, it's the philosophy I continue to this day. And Ted and I did five shows and five nights. Something felt different. While people have appreciated what I've done over the years, after those shows, lots of them were jumping to their feet. I wonder if because I no longer had an underlying fear about being an imposter, if it was easier to connect with audiences and for them to connect with me. I, I don't know. But what I do know is when I got back on the This Land is Your Land tour bus, I was sensing in my marrow what I knew in my mind. It can be more satisfying and healthier and a lot more fun to learn to live with fear than it is to continue to live in fear. McCoy was there beside me, part of this traveling troop. Dear partner and old soulmate, after all we have been through, down fast lanes and down dirt roads, wherever we might go, the road that we are traveling is the road to going home. One of the first Brothers Four performances with McCoy was on Blakely Island near Anacortes. The sun was beginning to set as the group returned by water taxi to the mainland. McCoy and I stood together alone on the bow of the boat. I remember looking over at him and then towards the city lights. In the gathering dusk, it was as if a whole new world was starting to be illuminated, waiting there for us, where anything was possible. That first year, as we shared the American folk songbook in Japan and Taiwan and on that bus tour across the U.S., it felt like each morning was a chance to discover some new place and every evening an opportunity to sing our hearts out, grateful that after 40 years of friendship, our dreams were a match for our memories. We continue to try not to take any of that for granted. At least once during every show, we still look at each other as if to say, huh, how did we end up here? In part because we were traveling and singing together as members of the Brothers Four, we also discovered a new spirit and renewed joy when we sang as Pearson and McCoy. In 2006, we remastered an album we made in 1981, adding six of our favorite songs from that time that we recorded but never released. We put them all together on a CD and called it the 25th anniversary edition of Between Friends. That spring, Ted joined McCoy and me at a series of performances where we shared what we considered our best work from those years, I think it's the singer-songwriter Bill Staines who said that there's no use-by date for a good song. And as we reintroduced those tunes, a lot of them had stories, including how Johnny Cash almost recorded Dear Partner on two separate occasions. And something else happened as we performed those songs that if we'd been looking for it, we probably wouldn't have found it. Call it a redemption of sorts. For lots of reasons, there'd been rough edges around our career in the 80s. Uh, 
there were misunderstandings and hurt feelings and differences of opinion. Oh, those come with the territory. Back then, I also had trouble going on stage alone, and that put pressure on our relationship that at times left both of us uncomfortable. And like many, if not most, musical partnerships, we couldn't find a big enough audience to sustain us. In 1987, after I'd been back with the Brothers Four for some years, I told McCoy I needed to do some singing on my own. It was a hard day for both of us. After that, we continued to perform from time to time. Our friendship grew in amazing ways, especially those couple of years in the mid-90s when we talked every day as McCoy worked his way out of the darkness and into the light of a new day. Singing and traveling together as members of the Brothers Four gave us a present and a future to rival anything in our past. And then, a quarter century after we created Between Friends, we tee those songs up one more time. And we get what many of us long for, at least in some aspect of our lives, a mulligan, a second chance, a do-over, one more good shot. And while it may have been too late for those songs to carry us to some unexpected height, who we were as we sang them in the spring of 2006, and what we saw from those stages proved to be enough. Looked out lots of windows, bus cars, trains, and through the years. Was I coming? Was I going? Well, it wasn't always clear till I felt something inside myself. And yes, I'd finally know whatever road I'm traveling is the road to going home. Those moments with Bob Flick at the Kingston Inn and the one in the recording studio, they're what I think of as outside-in moments. In other words, they led to some tangible change, and I started singing with new people in the Brothers Four, or a CD was successfully completed, and then those outside changes eventually helped transform who I was on the inside. And over time, I was able to become something more and different than I was before. The third moment from the spring of 2004 when I hoped to receive my brother's blessing and instead ended up offering him one is what I would describe as an inside-out moment. In other words, while I knew almost immediately something inside me was different, nothing appeared to change. To this day, I, I don't believe my brother even realizes he received a blessing that day. One of the reasons could be that it wasn't until much later I could truly comprehend that that's what I was doing and fully understand what that moment had done. For so long, I believed I needed someone else's affirmation or blessing for me to be okay. And then unintentionally, even accidentally, I discovered I had the power to affirm or bless someone else. Once I could accept that as true, a part of me began to believe and to slowly understand that I also might have the power to affirm myself.
to offer myself a blessing. And in fact, that such a blessing might both be necessary and long overdue. That moment slowly became a lesson in personal empowerment. And though it was not clear at the time, it's clear to me now that I was taking a big step on the road to going home. Whatever road I'm traveling is the road to going home. Thanks for sharing one of those times in a life. At the next campfire, one final gift. Hope to see you then. And remember, when you buy a CD or download a soundtrack of the journey, you're helping make this journey possible.